1: Welcome back to another episode of the Change Physician Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Kevin Kukara, with my co host, Dr. Melissa Cady, and today's wonderful guest. This is Dr. Michael Hockman. Uh, Dr. Michael Hawkman has a podcast called The Healthy Skeptic MD, where he covers some very, very interesting health challenges. Um, it really goes into the data, information, and how to make healthy choices about a lot of these things, whether you're a patient or your physician. And what we're going to do today is talk to Dr. Hockman about his background. How is it that he decided to go into medicine, any of the challenges or struggles that he faced? And then how he's kind of incorporated his practice and brought in this media aspect with the Healthy Skeptic MD podcast. So hey, Michael, it's great to have you on the show today. Well, thanks, Kevin and Melissa, for having
2: me. Look forward to our discussion.
1: All right. So let's start at the beginning then. You know, you you're what you're we've kind of led where you are now, but why is it that you even chose
2: to go into medicine? What was the kind of background there? Yeah, I wish I had an exciting explanation for that. It was as simple as I liked working with people. I was interested in science. Uh, we, there were some doctors in the family, and uh, it just always seemed like like an interesting thing. You know, I remember taking uh, some science classes in um, college, and um, you know, th- there were a couple. Uh, my friends who were sort of feeling pressured to go into medicine. And they said, but Mike, you actually seem like someone who would actually be a good fit for this profession. And in some ways I was hearing that from someone else. And I said, maybe this is the right uh, direction. So I, I I certainly have no regrets about going into medicine in general. Great. And what
1: were your experiences then when you went into medical school? I mean, you had a background where you have physicians in your family. So did that prepare you? Were were you oh, I know exactly what's going on. Or once you were in the lived experience of it, did that sort of change your perspectives or say, maybe this is a little bit different than I thought it might be?
2: Yeah, well, I'm sure it's uh, it's always, even for people who have it in their family, and certainly in my case, it, it was different than what I expected. You know, the first two years are just classrooms. But what really struck me is when I got into the hospitals my third and fourth year, that um, it seems that medicine was not as much about uh, the patient's goals as it was about the doctor's goals. And I just remember sitting on internal medicine rounds that would go on for hours and hours and having these um, discussions that I couldn't really connect to what was actually the patient's um, Problems, and uh, you know, I sort of scratched my head and said, "You know, this is a great profession. I just got to get through this training." But I, but I certainly remember hitting that slump in medical training where I sort of asked the question, Wait, "Why, why are we here?" If uh, it, you know, if we go off on all these tangents that are about us.
1: Yeah, Wait, I was going to one more thing here. Then did that lead into your decision to go
2: into primary care? Then. It did. Well, I, I definitely remember feeling frustrated and a little burned out in medical school. I decided to take a year off, um, part for my mental health, and uh, you know, also I thought it, it it would be good to to see something different. So I spent a year, on the in the Indian Health Service in the Navajo Reservation in New Mexico, and it was just a wonderful experience in part from just seeing that there's a world out there that's not academic medicine. Um, I saw family medicine doctors on the Navajo reservation who were um, providing care at a level that some of the specialists that I was at and working with in Boston were doing. So they were treating hepatitis C, which in Boston was of course something you need to refer somebody to, just being out in the fresh air and, and just... Um, you know, in the, uh, the, the outdoors and how important that is. Um, and it really sort of re-energized me. I think it also showed me um, that uh, the, the systems of care can be very effective in academic systems. Uh, you know, the research is a big driver of things and the education, but I had never really seen a functioning system uh, work like that and that's not to say that the Indian Health Service is, is perfect uh, by any stretch and so I think it really shaped my decision to go into uh, primary care working with safety net populations and and do some of the systems work that I've done. Awesome.
0: Wow. So it seems like when I when I try to think of what was different obviously there's no place that's perfect. I think we all of us know that but at the same time the value I guess what was it that you felt I perceive almost as like there's an opportunity for more relationships and interacting uh, when you're on the reservations versus like an academic medicine. Um, Did you feel like there was uh, just a better opportunity to connect with people that value things or value different things? Um, I know that's like kind of a general question, but it, it seems to be that when you can slow down and actually engage with people in a humanistic way, that that's where um,
2: the sweet spot is. Yeah, I think that is definitely a part of it, but for me, it almost seems more simple than that. The doctors that I was working with in the Indian Health Service, they were really having fun in their job. You know, uh, I had one, uh, attending physician who would go out to the uranium mines and he would drive a couple hours, um, and do interviews of, of former miners to document some of their, um, the, the health consequences for that and it was really about a passion for what he was doing and he you know he loved being in, in, in you know the, the outdoors uh in that uh community um uh you know and um and just the varied experiences you know they would do a um, a c help out with a c-section and then uh they would be in the icu and then doing a vasectomy and it, it just seemed fun in a way that um what I was experiencing in in academic medical centers uh, wasn't. And I think you're onto something as well, that they really felt that it was a population that appreciated uh, that they were there. um, And it was really about doing things for the right reason.
0: Yeah, that variety seems like a big big part and a change of environment instead of the four walls of (laughs) academic medicine that I think uh, can get uh,
2: old. And as a tangent, I just think that that's one thing that's so important for clinicians to be happy in their career, that that every day is a little different, that there's a new challenge, uh, and it's not just the same thing every day. Absolutely. So Kevin? so then you got
1: involved when you went into residency, or actually, um, when you, you call yourself a recovering health journalist, oftentimes mm-hmm. in your introduction on the Healthy Skeptic, um, So how did you fit that into this picture of physician and now health journalism?
2: Yeah, so I came back um, from working on the Indian Health Service um, for a year and I actually had a couple extra months uh, and some credits bit, but were built up. And so I had always had an interest in writing. I wrote for the school newspaper in college. I was actually a sports writer. And so I reached out to the Boston Globe and uh, asked if I could do some freelance writing. And they were actually in need of, of uh, some freelance writers, um, which I really enjoyed doing. I think it was very clear it was not going to be the next Atul Gawande. So uh, you know, I decided it made sense to go back to med school and finish that up. But I've always had uh, a, an interest in communicating in uh, trying to communicate complex medical information to to a broader audience. So then
1: leading into that is uh, for a project before the healthy skeptic was updates in slow medicine. And could you um, just briefly describe what slow medicine is and how that relates to primary care?
2: Sure. And actually, this relates a little bit to what I was describing before um, when I was saying I was in the hospitals and I was asking the question, why are we here? So I I saw maybe one example is in older people who were towards the end of life and we were pushing invasive procedures on them, which just couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine that they were Uh, advancing their, their goals of care. Um, And then as I learned more and more as in my medical training, you know, I saw so many of the things that we do in medicine, maybe they have certain benefits in certain populations, but the way that they're implemented in real world practice, it, it just, did not strike me that that was actually adding value for anything. Um, and I had an attending uh, physician when I was a resident uh, in, in primary care, Dr. Peter Cohen, who was always pushing me on this. And we kind of, you know, got into these issues and we realized we, we really saw things uh, very similarly. Peter actually coined the term slow medicine. Um, you know, I, I uh, we do have a, a stodgy definition of it somewhere. But, I, you know, I think probably a simpler way to put it is just that, you know, there's, there's forces of aggressive care in, in healthcare, and, you know, there's a less is more philosophy, and that things are shifted too far in healthcare to the aggressive interventions that we do, and, uh, you know, slow medicine is sort of reminding ourselves that, that sometimes waiting in, a wait-and-see approach is, is actually just as good as, as doing something, even if that's what we're urged to do at the minute, at, at that particular moment.
0: Yeah, it makes me think of just being mindful and thoughtful and appreciative of the body's capacity to heal like all of those things combined would would you agree with that
2: yeah you know uh humans have had uh, however many hundreds of thousands of years of evolution to to evolve and that we think that this new pill that that we have is going to fix things like a magic bullet is to have some humility and realize that we only want to use these interventions when they're truly uh proven to work and they're going to make things better for the patient yeah.
1: well i, so, I Oh, go ahead. Hold on, because I'm going to intersect this with what you do with healthcare systems then, because you have an interest in the delivery of healthcare and healthcare systems and an interest in slow medicine and kind of aligning that wait and see attitude or not attitude, but really approach, which makes sense. But for many healthcare systems, that slow medicine (laughs) approach is foundationally not aligned with how the system delivers care. So I'm kind of how we've been navigating that sort of conflict there.
2: Well, I think the the overlap in those two areas of interest is, you know, the, the bureaucracy always drove me crazy in healthcare. And I know I'm certainly not alone. Um, but, you know, we doctors are, are pulled in so many different directions, whether it's these EHR systems that were built for billing purposes and not for documentation's sake, or whether it's regulatory requirements that maybe there was a good reason once for it for them, but when you put it all together, it's totally mind-boggling and uh, probably counterproductive. Uh, so, you know, in, in in my mind, it's it's sort of um, so my my interest in health systems. How do you push out the noise so that? we actually can use our time for, for the things that, that make sense, That whether it's the healthcare interventions that really make a difference for a patient, spending the time with them, and we're not spending our time doing the administrative uh, nonsense.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I want a little tangent here when you were talking a little earlier about how sometimes not just convincing the systems, but even the patients <laughs> to, to have an appreciation for... Um, the body's capacity to heal and, and have patience. I I think there's, there's a, you know, how do you sell that and try to, I don't want to say convince, but in essence, we have to try to persuade people to think of their, their bodies differently and think of medicine differently. How, how do you kind of deal with that issue? Well,
2: I actually think, and I'd be curious on your opinion on this too, that a lot of patients are actually looking for that. and Mm -hmm. We spend our whole time persuading and convincing them that this this uh, pill that we have for them is actually going to be more effective than their own bodies Healing capacity or letting time uh, do, do its thing. And that patients are so happy when they hear an open mindedness to uh, alternative uh, approaches. Now there are certainly patients who don't have that mindset and I actually am more okay with that when it's driven by the patient. But what always bothered me in medicine is when we were talking in patients into things that really didn't seem to make sense to them. But we just kept hammering that this is what you, you need to do. And, and that's what I slow medicine and our healthy skeptic MD podcast is trying to do is to show show people there's another way.
0: Yeah. Well, and in the infrastructure needs to be in place to to value good conversation and guidance versus doing something to a patient. So Kevin, I know you were gonna say something.
1: I was gonna agree with you there because it's it's <laughs> you know, then and then you're going to this conflict with with what you know you were talking about, Michael, where you wanna listen and I think a lot of physicians actually wanna to listen to their patients and wanna spend time to them, but you're in many ways penalized it to do so. You know, when you have you know, the EHR and 42 click buttons and then the IT tech tells you, well, we just did an update and it's just one more click. You know, you know it's just one more click on the top of 10 other clicks that you have to do. Um, so that's a, you know, how do you keep yourself sane? Cause you are, I mean, you're definitely in an academic environment and you're sort of in the thick of things when it comes to medicine. How are how are you adjusting to that? Like I, I I know we you kind of briefly mentioned about getting rid of that administrative burden, but have you seen some structurized approaches or things that you guys have initiated at USC around this kind of idea?
2: Well, for me, um, it really is because of that variation in, in what I do. You know, I see patients a third of the time, and even that's broken up between some outpatient medicine and some inpatient medicine. And then I do a little bit of research and then I'll do the podcast and then I'm on some policy committees. I think if I did any one of those things all the time, I would absolutely go crazy. And, and I think, uh, you know, I, am much more patient in these meetings, uh, when, when I know that I can, can actually go and see a patient and directly help them afterwards. So even if it was a frustrating, uh, meeting, you know, you know, there, there's, there's another thing to do. And then I think like by the same token, if I was seeing patients and documenting notes all day, um, that would really be a burnout. I think it's very hard, um, you know, uh, for, for, for many of my colleagues and I, and, you know, there certainly is a lot of turnover and academic, uh, uh medicine. And, you know, I think um uh to, to your point about um uh you, you know why did doctors go into concierge medicine, I completely understand it. It's a way to be able to to have that connection with a patient that's not possible, sadly, in, in our current system. That's not the right model for me, but I and, and probably not, you know. You're not going to be able to take care of an entire population that way with concierge practice, but but I absolutely understand the desire of doctors to 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 have that type of connection with patients. Yeah.
0: Now I'm curious. Uh, I know you've kind of taken you from that beginning desire for medicine to where you're you're doing things now. Is looking back at all of the things that you've done, what what do you feel has like the, been the most rewarding? And maybe a you know um, kind of restating some things, but what's the most rewarding thing that you've, looking back on it, that you've done or created or, you know, just in general, like where you're at now, what you enjoy the most?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting question. You know, funny enough, I think it's probably the simple things. It's, you know, I love doing the podcast and I think that's going great, but it's, um, you know, sometimes those individual interactions with patients where you kind of go the extra mile and they really appreciate it. Um, but, probably along those lines, it was the simplest intervention that I've ever done that's probably had the biggest impact. So when I was just finishing my fellowship training, I worked at the county hospital here in Los Angeles and no one answered the phones, you know, literally the phone would ring and, you know, 80% of the time, no one would answer it. And, you know, if they did, they'd put you on hold. Um, So patients had no way of getting in touch with the doctor between visits. They had a problem with the medication, um, find out, you know, you can follow up three months later. Uh, there was no there was no recourse. And sadly, that's true in many safety net systems. And so I was a clinical scholar, Robert Wood Johnson, fellow clinical scholar at UCLA. And we got a grant um, and we did the very simple thing of created a call center to two unlicensed uh, care coordinators. And all they did was answer the phone. They spoke English and Spanish. Um, and that almost doubled the patient experience scores, the CAP scores. Um, yeah patients compared to the control clinic wasn't some fancy digital innovation uh all all it was was someone answering the phones and and carving out some same day uh visits that's awesome awesome.
1: yeah i I love it it's like people are like you know trying to do these moon launching things or whatever and that one seems like oh yeah call center that actually makes a lot of sense why don't we have a call center yeah
0: communication it's a key to a lot of you know happy patients and i can say from some of the things that i've been doing that you know just feeling like you're not going to have to stop or suddenly i mean it creates a frustration on top of whatever issue or pain that they're having so i i applaud you for even thinking of doing that for for that kind of project that's that's a a great way to
2: it's a great fellowship project i think projects like that are just so operationally challenging it's i you know i could never do it in my Current uh, in, uh, practice, I mean, that's, uh, you know, yeah. that's more of an operations task. <laughs> uh, but I think sure. that's why it's so important to have physician leaders because I think when we don't have that clinical voice in there, uh, administrators, and, and they're well intended, um, but they don't focus on the things that really make the simple things that really make a difference for patients.
0: Sure,
1: sure.
2: Uh, so, where I was going to say, it was where then? With uh, Healthy
1: Skeptic MD, which you started last uh, year in 2020, which is uh, an interesting time to start a new podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe um, spending well, a little too much time uh, on the computer at home. <laughs> yeah. uh, so what are your goals then with Healthy Skeptic MD? What, what are you, who's your audience and what
2: is it that you're trying to deliver with that program? So Peter and I did updates in slow medicine for about five or six years. That was targeting a, a healthcare audience, um, you know, just highlighting new research studies that, that emphasize the less is more concept. Um, we had a great time with it, but I think we um, realized that in order to reach or to have a, more of an impact, we wanted to touch patients directly. Um, Peter's been very busy. He's, he's become like a, 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 truly an internationally known researcher in, in uh, supplements. He would actually be another great person to interview uh, for this podcast, because he's had a very interesting and varied career. But I decided to continue on this, but shift to a podcast format uh, and uh, with patients. And so uh, that's exactly what we try to do. We try to talk about common key decisions that anyone might need to make at some point in their life, cholesterol medications, cancer screenings, you know, getting prenatal uh, screening for for, uh, obstetrics, Uh, situations and just try to distill it in a way uh, that patients again know that there's multiple different ways of doing things. Everyone doesn't have to do exactly the way the guidelines uh, or their doctor tell them that there's alternative approaches.
1: That's great it makes makes me laugh a little bit because uh because you 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 touched on these things and as a patient they may well what's controversial about cancer screenings that seems to like makes perfect sense we should just do all these screenings all the time so anyway (laughs) you guys if you're interested in that you should definitely go to the healthy skeptic md and uh check out that episode because that's a very important decision to make one that you should be fully informed on so
0: yeah i I was going to mention is there anything uh you know, upcoming, I know this is just kind of a continual flow of your podcast releasing, but is there any place you'd like to direct people on things that are coming up or just where to find you or learn more about what you're up to?
2: Right. So this season, uh, you know, the website is healthy healthyskepticmd.com uh, c- and that has all the latest uh, episodes. This season, I'm focusing on key common medical decisions, uh, you know, uh, pros and cons of cancer screening, cholesterol medications. We did one last week on um, alcohols, daily glass of wine uh, helpful. Next season, I'm going to focus on emerging technologies. Um, you know, so, you know, is genetics going to revolutionize uh, medicine? And, you know, w- what should our expectations be for that? Uh, so some more sort of looking to the future uh, type issues. And we'll just sort of go from there as, you know, I'm, I'm really doing it to have a good time and have uh, interesting conversations and hopefully educate patients in in the process. Perfect.
1: I think that hits a, uh, a common theme that has been coming up over and over again with this is your love of variety. because You know, I, <laughs> Oh, I went out on the Indian reservation and he did all sorts of stuff. I'm like, Oh, well, that sounds like a lot of primary care docs where they want to do everything. And then you're like, well, in my practice, I can't just see patients all the time. I have to be involved in this, this, and this, and there's some variety. And I can't think of anything more that would give you quite as much variety as a podcast could potentially. So that's, I think that fits very well with with your uh,
2: mindset there. My ADHD uh, mentality. (laughs) and and, But I have to say that that's, I think a lot of the challenge that a lot of, doctors run into um where where they really want to do something and sort of the mantra in academic medicine is know more and more about less and less and get narrower and narrower in scope and absolutely it's great for people who want to do that and that's how you probably advance science and come up with the next discovery is stick at the same issue for 30 years but that's not that's not the right way that all of us can contribute absolutely
0: I agree. I ran out of room, all different things to describe myself on my Facebook page. I said, I love a little bit of everything. <laughs> That's about all I could say. Um, Kevin, any last uh, questions before we uh, uh, finish off?
1: No, I don't think so. Thank you very much though, Dr. Michael Heifman for coming back onto this or coming onto the podcast today. It was great talking with you. Loved to hearing your physician's journey. And then I'll let Melissa take it out with her fabulous voice here.
0: Oh, I don't know about that, but thank you. <laughs> um, well, for those of you listening, I am Melissa Cady, the Challenge Doctor, with my co-host, Dr. Kevin Kakaro, and our guest honestly brought in the importance of you know, variety, as we just mentioned, uh, but also taking it to not just patients, but educating uh, systems, uh, other colleagues about a lot of important issues that we should be talking about. And I appreciate your time, uh, Dr. Tauchman, to join us on the Change Physician. And make sure to check out the show notes to find him and all the things that he's been doing. And until next time, y'all take care. Thank you for joining us today on the Change Physician podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let us know by going to thechangephysician.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you simply by joining the community at thechangephysician.com.